Happy All Saints Sunday. Uh, that sounds about right. I don't know what to say in response to that either. Um, but All Saints was on Monday, the 1st of November, and we are celebrating it now, the first Sunday after that. And in the history of the church, All Saints started as a way for the church to commemorate martyrs, to commemorate those who had died. And as time went on in the medieval church, they made All Saints Day a way to commemorate not just those who had died as martyrs, but those who had faithfully ran the end of the race. It's a way to commemorate those who finished well. And so that's what All Saints is about. But if that's what All Saints is about, then the question for us becomes, what exactly is a saint? When most of us think about what a saint is, the idea that comes to our mind is like a spiritual giant, a super Christian of unattainable holiness. But if we look at the Bible, that's actually not how the word saint was used in the New Testament. So Paul writes letters, as you may know, to all these churches, and at the opening he often addresses those to whom he's writing. And in 1 Corinthians and Romans, he, he writes it to those called to be saints. And in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, he says, to the saints. And I'm sure those churches had some exceptional Christians in them, but I don't think they were all a bunch of Mother Teresa's. And so when we look at the word saint as it's used in the New Testament, saint refers to someone who is being made holy. Saint actually comes from the same word as holy. It literally means holy one. So a saint is a person whom the holy God of the universe is making holy, who is setting apart to be like him. The way one person put it is like this, that a saint is someone on the, is the saint is someone on the journey of becoming by grace what God is by nature, holy and perfect. So that is what a saint is. And so as we uh, spend time looking at the word this morning, I'm going to invite us to open up to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're going to look at what is that journey to sainthood like? How does that look like in our lives? And as we look at Paul's prayer here, we're going to get some perspective on the journey, some pathways for growth, and some power along the way. So first, as we look at this prayer, we see some perspectives on the journey to, to sainthood. So as we see this, we see that Paul sees these Ephesian Christians not just as they are, but as they might be in Christ. That's the perspective that he has. He has gratitude for where they've been, but also hope for where they're going. And we see that when he, he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, he says, because I have heard how you have started to trust in Jesus and your life has started to show that love to others. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So Paul sees where these Ephesian Christians have been coming from. He's seen the journey that they've already covered, and he's filled with effusive joy and with thanks. 
And that might be familiar to you. Perhaps you remember what Jesus talks about when he says that there is more celebration in heaven for one sinner who repents. Or you might think of how he talks about in the parable of the prodigal son, how when the father saw him a long way off, he ran out to hug him and invited him home and threw a party. And in the same way, Paul is celebrating this good start in faith that the Ephesian Christians have had. But this praise, this gratitude that Paul has very quickly gives way to petition. He goes from saying how he does not cease giving thanks for them to saying how he remembers them in his prayers and then goes on to say how he's praying for them to continue to grow in Christ. And so the the lesson here is as Paul sees his perspective on the journey to sainthood, it's gratitude for where we've been and hope for where we're going. That means it's not a one-off thing. The Christian life is not just a matter of conversion. It's not just a matter of getting your ticket punched and calling it a day, but it's a journey of continuing to grow more and more with Christ and continuing to know him more and more and more. And here's a picture of what I think that is like. So this past week was my brother David and Sister Caitlin, and Sister Caitlin, sister-in-law, Caitlin, it was their third wedding anniversary. And I've heard people say how if you get married, a wedding, your wedding day might be like one of the happiest days of your life. And I can't speak to that at all. But no one ever told me how happy I would be to see my brother and now sister-in-law get married. The joy I had seeing the joy that they had. It was one of the happiest days of my life But that was just the beginning. As happy as I felt that day, and as happy as I knew that they were, I hope that that intense moment of happiness will be dwarfed over the course of their lifetime as their love for one another grows and grows and grows. And so if you go to a wedding of a dear friend or a family, you don't see them walk away and says, all right, well, I guess that was good. You're excited about the life that they hope to build and share together. And in the same way, that's how it is with our life in Christ. When we start off, it's not, okay, well, I guess we're done now. It's a lifetime of continuing to grow and learn and love more and more and more. So a few years ago, my mom, after being married to my dad for over 30 years, finally found out that my dad is an introvert. In her defense, like the Myers-Briggs was not a huge thing back when they were getting, back when they got married and stuff, but I found that to be unbelievable that after all that time, something so fundamental could still be new. That could still be a way that they can grow in knowledge and love of one another. And my dad is great, but my mom would be the first person to tell you that he isn't God. And so if they can still go to grow in knowledge and love of one another, how much more is it so for us in God who's far more glorious and complex and awesome than any other human being that we have here on earth? 
Paul's perspective is that our journey to sainthood is a journey of growth more and more in knowledge and love of Christ as we become like him. And so we're mistaken if we think that we can exhaust our knowledge of God or reach a limit of God's love here in this lifetime. And here's something that you can do to help you think of your walk with Jesus in that way. Because if you're like me, it's easy to get caught up in a point in time to see I'm always in the present. It's easy for me to think that my relationship with God is always how it is right now. When in reality, I have probably come a long way from where I was five or 10 years ago. So one thing that I'm trying to start to do now is to journal. I've never been a journaling person. If you are, that is great, but it has never come naturally to me. And so here's my hope in doing this, is that each day as I, not everything, but like write down some of my prayers, some of the ways in which I saw God at work that day, I could see the ways in which I'm desiring to grow more in Christ. And in the same way, I hope that in a few months or a few years, I can go back and read some of the things that I wrote and almost be a little embarrassed because I was like, wow, I can't believe I used to think that way. God has done so much in my life to change how I see him, to change how I see the world around me. That's one thing that we can do to change how we see, how we have a perspective of our journey in Christ towards saintliness. And so the question for us this morning is, what kind of perspective do you have on your journey with Christ? Does it feel like you've reached a dead end or you're driving the same streets in circles over and over again? Or that your car has broken down? Or, or, or maybe it's, man, I know I'm going somewhere. I don't know where. I don't know how fast I'm going or when I'll get there, but I trust that on this journey, I have someone in the car with me who's telling me where to go and when. How do we see our life with Christ? So Paul's prayers indicates that the perspective that we can have is that it's a journey. But if the perspective is that it's a journey of growth, the question becomes, how do we grow? So what are the pathways to growth that Paul outlines here. Uh, I encourage us to look at one, uh, to notice that he's praying for knowledge, and two, to notice what he's praying that the Ephesians know. So first, he's praying for for knowledge. In verses 17, we read that he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then he goes on to say, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. And so Paul is praying that the Ephesians grow in knowledge. And one thing that comes to mind as I read this is that he's praying for this. It's not something that's just going to happen automatically. Like he says, all right, so uh, you started to follow Christ. In about two weeks, here's where you'll be. Uh, And then in about five years, here's where you'll be. And you're right on schedule. 
No, he's praying for this because it's something that doesn't just happen automatically. He's asking God for help and he's praying for knowledge. The Christian life is a life of learning. No matter if we think of ourselves as intellectual kinds of people or not, the Christian life is a life of the mind. But it's a life of the mind that's enabled and enkindled by the Spirit. So as he prays for this knowledge, he says he's asking the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation the Holy Spirit to show them these things that they haven't quite grasped yet. And he's asking them to, for the eyes of their hearts to be opened, which shows us that this isn't the kind of knowledge that we might think of when we often think of knowledge. This is a deep experiential knowledge that goes to the heart of our being. It's the eyes of our hearts. It's not cold, abstract facts. But deep in our being, we have knowledge of who God is. That, is. that is what Paul is praying for, the kind of growth that he wants for us. So the first pathway is prayer for this knowledge that is deep in the heart of our beings that is both a combination of our minds, our learning, and the spirit. It's not one or the other. It's not reason set against faith. It's Uh, When John Stott talked about this, he said, uh, all our thinking is unproductive without the spirit of truth. So without the Holy Spirit, our thinking on its own isn't great. But he says, yet his enlightenment, God's enlightenment, is not intended to save us the trouble of using our minds. So it's this idea that the, the knowledge that Paul is praying for is at once Uh, One that involves our minds, but is a spiritual knowledge enabled by God that gets to the core of our being. And so what does he pray that we would know? He prays that we would know uh, in 18, the hope to which he has called you. And what are the riches? He prayed that we would know what is the hope to which he has called you. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So these two things that he talks about, the hope to which you have been called, the hope you have as a result of your calling, and God's glorious inheritance for the saints, these are two things that bookend the Christian life. The calling comes at the beginning, and the inheritance of God comes at the end. Just before this passage, Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit is kind of like the down payment of the inheritance that we will receive when we are risen with Christ. And so these are two bookends of the Christian life. So at the beginning, you have the hope that comes from our calling, the hope that we find out that we have an identity that is lasts, that endures, that is not dependent upon what we do or how we perform. It's the hope that comes that our life has purpose that transcends our lifetime, that transcends the here and now. But what we do in Christ has repercussions for eternity. Our life is full of meaning that we can't begin to imagine and that gives us hope. But at the same time, we have this glorious inheritance that what God started, 
he is going to finish, he is going to bring to completion the work that he has started in us. And I think a passage that gets to these two things together of the hope we have from being called and the inheritance that we have in God, I think we can find that in 1 John 3 when he says, see what kind of love the Father has, has given to us that we should be called the children of God. This is part of the hope of our calling that we who as in chapter two of Ephesians, Paul says, we're without hope apart from Christ, separated from God, now can be called children of God, sons and daughters of God. And he says, beloved, we are God's children now. So that's the hope of our call. But what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And that gets to this idea of the inheritance that we will get to be with God, the one who made us and the whole universe. We will get to know him face to face. That's the hope of the inheritance. And these two things that Paul wants us to know are not just bookends for the Christian life, they're anchors in the midst of us to help us hold fast in the midst of the storms of our life. And these are the things that Paul wants us to know in new ways, to grasp the implications of more and more and more. He says, as you understand these things in their fullness, you will grow more in Christ. But it's easy for us to on Sunday get like excited about these kinds of things. We might even raise our hands a little bit if there's a song that we like that's being sung. But come Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday when we're at school or at work and perhaps you've fallen into like the same old habits, perhaps you're behind on a project again, or perhaps you feel like, man, God, have you forgotten about me? It's easy to lose sight of these things. It's easy to lose sight of these anchors. And uh, a hope that I have as I think about this is thinking about the Ephesian church themselves. Because I know that that's me week in and week out. It's so easy for me to forget that, man, my hope is that I am called by God and it's not in anything that I do. But I think the Ephesians struggled with this too. Because if you look at Acts 19, there it talks about how Paul had been with them for over two years preaching the gospel. And you have a sense that this ministry is probably successful because it said everyone in the region had come to know about who Jesus was. Perhaps they're not believers, but they know about God. And after this time, there was a dramatic exorcism that helped the Ephesian church see that God is better than, that God provides a better hope than magic can. And so Acts describes these people as believers. He, Acts did not say these were like baby Christians or these were like fake Christians. Acts said these were believers and it said what they did is they carried forth their magic books that they had to give them forth 
to be burned. These are people who had been sitting under Paul's teaching for years, but they hadn't given up on these magic books because they said, maybe they can provide a hope for me that I don't think God can. God might help me out in some parts of my life, but for these other things, just to be safe, I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm covered and I'm going to trust these magic books. And then something happened that made them see God actually is bigger than that. It made them grasp in their hearts to know the hope of their call and the glorious inheritance that they have in God. And what helped them see that was this powerful demonstration of God. And so we have perspective on our journey that it is a journey. We have our pathways to growth of praying for knowledge in the core of our being that we would have a deeper understanding of the hope to which we're called and the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ. And how does, how does that take root in our hearts? Paul points us to the power we have along the way. So if the, those of you who are particularly perceptive to grammar and things like that, you, you would notice to, he has a pattern here. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. One. Two. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And three. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? And so in some ways it might think, oh, that's, this is just another thing for us t- to know. But here's why I think it's more than that. Because when Paul talked about these first two things, it was just a phrase. It was just the hope to which you've been called and his, uh, his glorious inheritance for the saints. Then when he talks about his power, he talks about this for four verses. That's almost half of this prayer. So something is going on here that's very important. And I think Paul is pointing to the power that God has as hope for us to grasp these things in our heart. So what is this power that he's talking about? He talks about the power in four ways. He says, the, the power, he says, the power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. And so here are the, 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 the four things. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So one is when he raised him from the dead. Two is his great power in seating Christ at his right hand above all the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Wow, that's a lot. Okay. And then three, and he put all things under his feet, and four, gave him as head over all things to the church. And I think we can think about these in just three ways. One is we see the power that raised Christ from the dead, the power by which Christ defeated death so that we can become called sons and daughters of God. And not only that, the power by which he put all evil and all enemies of God in their place. In that really long passage there where Paul keeps on talking about authority and power and dominion, Paul is talking about all of these powers that are set against God. And so Paul is saying 
that the power that raised Christ from the dead, the power that definitively defeated all evil, and the power that is now working in all things through the church, this is the power that Paul is talking about. But here's the crazy thing. He says that it's the power, I'm trying to find it here. He says it's the power towards us who believe. This is the power that God is working towards and for us who are in Christ. And he said that power is according to the standard of these things. So the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that's working in us to help us grasp the hope to which we are called, to help us grasp the inheritance that we have in God. That's the same power that's at work in us. So we know that if death couldn't stop Jesus, it's not going to stop us from joining in the inheritance that God has for us. If all of the evil powers of darkness cannot stop Jesus, then the evil powers of darkness cannot stop us from knowing the hope to which we are called. There is nothing that can stop God's power at work in our lives to know these things more and more and more. That is the power that is working in us. That is the hope that we have in this. And so when we, when we think of the saints, we often think of people who lived lives of like unattainable holiness. But as we talked about earlier, saints are also the people who lived quiet lives of, of godliness and who reached a faithful end. And be they some giant saint or some anonymous saint who you'll never hear about, the same God that was working in their life to made them be a giant of the faith. This is the same God that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the same power that's working in us. And uh, St. Augustine, who was one of these spiritual giants, he knew that we have this problem, that it's easy for us to lionize these saints and think, man, we can never be like them. And so in part because of that, he wrote his Confessions, which you might have read before. It's one of the earliest instances of an autobiography of a, 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 or of a memoir. And he talks about how he came to, to know God and how he grew in God. And he talks about how for so long he struggled with trying to uh, become someone great or how, how hard it was for him to give up... Uh, uh, a, a relationship that he knew he should not have had. And yet St. Augustine wrote this so other people could see that he was just like us. But God worked in him to do those things. And so when we look at either the lives of saints, big and small, the hope that we have is that they were on a journey and we see them towards the end of their journey, towards the end of their lives. We don't think of them at the beginning. And so as we think of our lives as journeys towards saintliness, we can be encouraged at the same power that worked in the lives of those saints is working in us now. So please pray with me. 
Heavenly Father, we, we thank you um, that the work that you are doing in us is not confined to what we can see in the here and now. God, we ask that you would open our eyes to see uh, the work that you have been doing and that you continue to do. And to that end, God, we ask that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of you. God, that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us, that we may know what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and that we may know your immeasurable greatness of your power that is working all of these things out in our life. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.